The book of Acts, chapter 1. I'm going to grab my Bible. Guess this is, a, this is a great time to be at Sovereign Grace Church and to be new to the Bible. Uh, we're about to start a new book. Uh, you didn't need to bring a Bible if you're not familiar. You can just grab whatever device you got that's connected to the internet. Google Acts 1 and the initials ESV, English Standard Version. That's the version I'll be reading from in a moment. I'll do all the rest. You're going to want to see it for yourself, especially this morning as we begin a new sermon series. The book of Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, the translator heading in the English Standard Version reads, The Promise of the Holy Spirit. And as you find your place in introduction, this morning we begin our study of the entire book of Acts. What is commonly referred to as the, the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit. I believe in a moment you may agree with me that the most appropriate title for this book might be the Acts of Jesus. Although I do understand why this book goes by so many different titles. If you are new or newish to our church, you should be aware. I want you to be aware this is our regular practice. You've come at a great moment. We preach entire books of the Bible, line by line, paragraph by paragraph, cover to cover. It's not wrong to consider a particular passage of Scripture on a Sunday morning or, or a particular subject of interest or even to skip or summarize a portion of a, a section of a greater selection of the Bible. We do it from time to time. However, however, listen, it's our intention that if you would remain with us for any length of time, you would enjoy a disciplined, methodical, broad exposure to the entire canon of Scripture, not just whatever is the personal interests of the pastoral team or an attempt to address the perceived needs of our congregation or culture or community. No, stick around and you'll find yourself, I hope, I, I believe you'll find yourself immersed in a series of books that will mark and mark out for you your, your life your spiritual life in particular, as it, as it does our entire congregation. You see, I, this is one of the things I love about our church. This is one of the things all over our church. We don't always measure our seasons of life together in terms of dates and programs and leaders or even pandemics. Not even pandemics. When I hear us talk about our lives, I love this, so often I hear us expressing and measuring and memorializing it in our lives in terms of the books of the Bible that we were studying together on a particular set of Sundays. It's one of the ways, this is one of the ways we keep time together. That's, that's why we would say, remember when we were back in Ecclesiastes, or, or 1 Corinthians, or Revelation, or Genesis. Why? Because, because we're defined by words. By words, not, not the deeds we do, or the trials we endure. The books we study here on Sundays together are shaping us as a community. And so it's not uncommon for us to think in t of ourselves in series of books. That's why you've come in a great time. Of books of the Bible rather than the names of a pastor or a program or an initiative. That's intentional. And if you're here, for the, you've come for the right time because today we begin the book of Acts. And I am full of faith. I'm going to try to hold it back. Full of faith and hope for how God's going to bless us over the next 35 or so Sundays. So would you look with me? We begin 
by reading the first four verses of the book of Acts, and then I'll pray. Follow along. Verse 1. Verse 1. Luke writes, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his many sufferings by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, verse 4, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The very words of God, would you join me in a prayer for understanding? Heavenly Father, th thank you for your words. We see you, your, your, your nature and your qualities all around us, the mountains, the oceans, the heavens, from the largest animal to the, to the smallest molecule. We see it. We see you in all of this. Yet nothing, nothing is as good and powerful and otherworldly than what we, you have revealed to us through your book. And so we thank you for your book. And we pray your book would change our lives. Take this book and turn us upside down from the inside out. The way we think, the way we feel, the way we live. Your name is great. And it is good for our souls to think and ponder upon all that you have done. May many be saved as we explore your book of Acts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Edgar... I'm going to introduce you to a guy, Edgar Johnson Godspeed, that's his name. He was a prolific American biblical scholar, and he introduced the book of Acts this way, Edgar Johnson Godspeed, don't look him up, you don't need to follow this guy, but listen, this is so good. He said, Acts is a book of frenetic action and a, amid a constant shifting scene. He writes, conspiracy and intrigue and ambush. Hostile confrontations and fierce conflicts, sometimes to the death. Rioting lynch mobs and personal violence. Journeyings often. And incessant travel on an odyssey-like scale all over the Mediterranean world. Complete with shipwreck, venomous serpents, chains and imprisonment, followed by successful jailbreaks, though only at the aid of celestial mechanics. Famine, earthquakes, crime, punishment. And another scholar puts it away, taken as a simple tale of an adventure, it is by far the most action-packed 
book in the New Testament. Another, another scholar puts it this way, Acts, where within 80 pages will be found such a varied series of exciting events. This is what we're about to encounter. Trials, riots, persecutions, escapes, martyrdoms, voyages, shipwrecks, rescues, set in the amazing panorama of the ancient world. Jerusalem, Antioch, Philippi, Corinth, Athens, Ephesus, Rome. And with such, he writes, with such scenery and settings, temples, Courts, prisons, deserts, ships, barracks, theaters. The writer asks, has any opera such variety? To which I responded as I read that, I don't know. I don't watch operas. <laughs> Clearly smarter than I am. A bewildering range of scenes. This is the book Acts. A bewildering range of scenes and actions and of speeches passes before the eye of the historian and the reader. And then he writes this. And in all of them, he, Luke, and I hope one day we same. in all of them, he sees the providential hand that has made and guided this great movement. This great movement for the salvation of mankind. That's why we're reading this book. At this particular moment. For just as Luke, the author, saw it necessary to record the narrative of the first generation church a pristine account consider a pristine account the church is not pristine but in the account is of the apostolic community that first church so too i and your pastors are convinced that it would be good for us to review the orderly account luke calls it the orderly account of the beginnings of the church those of you who are new to, to or new-ish to the Bible may not be aware that this book is actually part two of a two-part book in the New Testament that has been unfortunately disconnected due to the traditional ordering of the books of the Bible. This book pairs with the Gospel of Luke. Same author, same intent. Two books that pivot on the ascension. ascension. It's Luke-Acts, the book. Look with me, actually, keep your finger in Acts, keep your place in Acts, but look back with me to Luke chapter 1. If you just start paging through the New Testament, you'll find it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Luke chapter 1. I want you to see how Luke introduces both books. Here it is, Luke 1 verse 1. He writes, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, to just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, verse 3, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you. Most excellent Theophilus. Verse 4, that you may have certainty. That you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. That you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. Now, now flip back to Acts. If you flip back to Acts chapter 1, Acts 1, 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, 
I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. There's that pivot. The ascension. After he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now listen. So what we have here is Luke, the physician, as he is known, a highly educated man who is part theologian, part historian, part eyewitness. Luke set about the task of putting together an orderly account for another man named Theophilus, most likely a student, most likely one of high social and economic status who apparently was a Christian in need of further information. Theophilus needed details. He had been taught, but Theophilus needed the details. And he needed those details explained and arranged in a manner that would help him experience a greater measure of certainty. That's what it said, right? Certainly regarding the things that he had been taught. Faith. He needed faith. He needed conviction. He needed confidence. He needed assurance. That's what he was after. He he needed assurance regarding the veracity, the truthfulness of the truth claims made by Jesus and his disciples that Luke had now explained and taught to him. Now, why, you must ask, who here does not need what Theophilus needed? (laughs) Assurance that what you've heard about Jesus is true. Uh, I do. That's why the book of Acts exists. For without Acts, put on your thinking caps, without Acts we wouldn't know. There are things we wouldn't know. Calvin observed, the old reformer, he said that Jesus, we wouldn't know that Jesus Christ was received into heavenly glory in such a way that he maintained his rule on earth. We wouldn't know. Where is Jesus? The book of Acts explains. Where did we get our Bibles from? The book of Acts explains. The narrative of Acts identifies the the continuity, the the true continuity of the church throughout all generations and the continuity of the true life of the church. What church looks like. Acts, listen, Acts forms a perfect counterpart and contrast to the Gospels. You got the Gospels, you got the four Gospels, and like I said, Luke, Luke's the only one. He wrote, he wrote a companion, number two, what happened after, right? And they got separated as we ordered out our Bibles. But Acts, Acts forms a counter, the perfect counterpart to and contrast to the Gospels. Ken, Ken Hughes famously preached an introduction to the book of Acts, and this is what he said. He said, in the Gospels, the Son of Man is offered his life. That's what what we read about in the Gospels. But he said, in Acts, the Son of God offered his power. Ken Hughes said, in the Gospels, we see the original seeds of Christianity. All the new things. In Acts, we see the continual growth of the church over decades. In Acts, we see... The God, well, the Gospels tell us that of a Christ crucified and risen, Acts speaks of Christ ascended and exalted. The Gospels model the Christian life as lived by the perfect man. Oh. Acts models it lived out by imperfect men. It's continuity. 
This isn't simply an account of the early church. This is God's plan happening before our very eyes. God saving for himself a people, gathering them into a new fellowship, and through them, through us, spreading the good news of a king and his kingdom that has no ends and no bounds until our Lord's prayer is complete on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. A book designed to provide people like you and I who believe but need assurance that what we have been taught is true. So with that, three statements I want to make right at the outset. They're right there in our text. Three statements upon which we stand as as a a congregation, as a, a confessing body of believers, disciples of Christ, some 2,000 years later. Here it is, three statements upon which we stand, located right in the introduction. If you're taking notes, here they are. Jesus lives. Jesus lives, and we're going to see that in an orderly account. Jesus reigns. And Jesus sends. Jesus lives. Jesus reigns. Jesus sends, you and I are going to spend most of a year observing and celebrating an orderly account of all that occurred so that we may have certainty concerning the things we've been taught. And because we have the certainty, we can therefore give our lives wholeheartedly to God's activity today in California, in Old Town Orange, and to the ends of the earth from the depths of our very soul to the four corners of the planet, number one. Number one, we believe Jesus lives. If you look at the text again with me, verse one, Luke writes, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Jesus began to do and teach. And if you stop right there, notice that word began. It's not all that he had. It's not all that he did. The text doesn't read all that Jesus did and taught, past tense. And I'm not a grammarian. I know all you English makers are going to come up afterwards and and school me on this. But at least this part's obvious, although often overlooked. And every translation agrees. You can go searching through all the translations. They all agree on this the translation of this word in the original text. Luke is making a massive point. Massive point in the first sentence, and it's a grammatical point. All right, here it is. Jesus is still doing and teaching. Jesus is still doing and teaching. He is alive. He lives. <laughs> Listen, if you, in any way, shape, or form, are even slightly confused or concerned about the fact that our very, the very foundational proposition of the Christian message is that Jesus is still alive among us even today. If you're even slightly confused or concerned that his absence in bodily form here today, does it mean that he is no longer with us. 
life. I, I understand. Listen, I understand. For if Jesus were dead, there would be no need for an, ex, an explanation, would there? But he's not. So we do need an explanation. Listen, we worship a man we've never seen. And it's not just a 21st century American problem. It was true of many first century Christians as well. Most likely, most everybody that originally read this account. Peter wrote to the churches in Asia Minor, though you have not seen him, you love him. That's all of us. And it might feel like a problem that you haven't seen him. <laughs> Listen, Christianity has never, ne it's, it's never included pilgrimages to meet Jesus. I was in Nepal once, right? I went to Nepal once, and I met a guy at a coffee shop. We traveled all the way over to Nepal to meet him. His name was Barnabas, and he's a fabulous, godly man. He's like the Billy Graham of India and Nepal. And I sat in that coffee shop, and I don't know if it was the good coffee or it was that he was like sitting in a cool thing or whatever. I, I don't know what it was, but I just thought, I have come all the way to meet this man. And I was in trance. He was, and, and he is a fabulous man. But there are no pilgrimages to meet the man. There's no international tours with, you know, Pope mobiles, but Protestant versions of the Pope mobile. <laughs> and here's why not. And we know it because of the book of Acts. Because 40 days after he rose again, he ascended into heaven. Verse 2, look with me. Until the day when he was taken up. We, we believe in the humiliation of Jesus Christ. If that's surprising to you, that term humiliation, that's what the theologians call it, the earthly ministry, his humiliation. Jesus Christ humbled himself to serve as our mediator in obedience to the Father's saving purposes. This is what our statement of faith says. Now we're getting familiar with it. Listen, it says, as the second Adam, there was a first Adam who failed us and didn't do what he was called to do. Now the second man and his sinless life of wholehearted obedience to God's law obtained the gift of perfect righteousness and eternal life for all of God's elect us. In his substitutionary death, one man in the place of many, on behalf of his people, Christ offered himself by the Spirit as a perfect sacrifice which satisfied the demands of God's law by paying the full penalty for our sins. On the cross, this is the Gospels, right? On the cross, Christ bore our sins took our punishment, propitiated God's wrath against us, vindicated God's righteousness, and purchased our redemption in order that we might be reconciled to God and live with Him in blessed fellowship forever. But all the more, listen, all the more, that's not the end of the story, is it? We believe, and here comes my second statement, that the we believe the exaltation of Christ and His resurrection ascension and subsequent reign which we get to 
reveals the full glory of his mediatorial work that we read about in the Gospels. Number two, Jesus reigns. Jesus reigns. Look with me again, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. <laughs> Until that he's alive, he's still doing and teaching. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Listen, what happened after this, the ascension created a bittersweet tension that Christians alive in this age have experienced now a bittersweet tension for 2,000 years. That of being present here and absent with him there. You, not, you and I already know this. We experience this. We know this vital sense of union with Christ. We're going to celebrate that in a few weeks as we uh, celebrate some, uh, some baptisms. We celebrate that when we, we uh, welcome new members and we enjoy life together. And it's all over our Bibles that we have been united to Christ in His death and His life. We experience that. We are united to Christ in His indestructible life. If you believe, you will never die. But not in its full and final sense. Now. As one commentator observed, just as the angels... Listen, this is so good. Just as the angels could point to the empty tomb and say, He is not here, He has risen. They could now point to the entire world when we get to the book of Acts, and say, he is not here. He has ascended. Ascension, listen. Oh, and we're going to enjoy it in the coming weeks here. The ascension wasn't simply Jesus going home to be with his Father. No. The ascension is Jesus being enthroned seated beside his father the fact that jesus has ascended into heaven and sat down and we're going to experience that in a few weeks as stephen sees the christ stand up but the fact that he has ascended into heaven and sat down is seen and is to be experienced and is explained in the book of acts as proof that his work on the cross was successful and that he now reigns. He's sovereign over all of this. Even though he's not here with us in bodily form. This age won't last forever and the mission won't be completed until he stands back up and the day he gets up, the whole world will know. And he will return just as he left. Just because you can't see him and have not seen him, you believe in him and what he has done and you love him. And just because he's not with us now doesn't mean he's not in command 
commanding us as he did here with his apostles and through his apostles, you and I in our lives today. Don't, don't waver in your conviction that Jesus is not still in command of pandemics, sickness, marital status, disappointments with friends and family, in your bank account, with conflict. You watch the war over in Ukraine. Jesus is alive and Jesus is in command. Last statement, Jesus sends. We've got a whole year of this. Jesus sending. We, listen, we are the pointy, the pointy end of the stick of an all-out military-like conquest. The body of Christ present here in this age carrying forth you know, if you want to get hoaxy, the original weapon of mass destruction. <laughs> the gospel, which tear down, tears down walls, conquers whole nations one heart at a time, heals broken people whose lives and thoughts and feelings are all disordered and tangled up. He reconciles enemies. He appeases the wrath that still remains. Enslaves his adherents and sends us out. Out, of the, out to the very, that's what we're going to read, the very edges of human existence. It's been happening in every generation since you wonder what's going on here you want to make sense of this and you want to have assurance that this is what it is and we claim it to be and what you've been taught well that's what the book of acts is about he is sending us read verse four look one last time verse four and five and while staying with them this is before he ascended he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but something new's happening. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not so many days from now. He gave his life. Now the book of Acts, we see he, he will give his power And what is this power for? Where, where are we headed? But to be the hands and feet and mouth ambassadors of the good news of the kingdom of God. Luke so, sums it up in that little phrase there in the middle of that introductory Thing when he calls it the kingdom of God or in other words what, what is this gospel and what is it accomplishing but it is that his rule and reign might spread in us one commentator writes rebirth marks the beginning of the kingdom and its end is the blessings of immortality 
in the middle, we are moving forward and growing in spiritual life. Remember that from our birth on which we are on, on from our birth on, we are, we are estranged from the kingdom of God until God reshapes us for a new life. So he writes, the world, our human bodies, and all that is in human nature are at odds with God's kingdom. We are preoccupied with worldly things and look for our happiness here. But through the preaching of the gospel, Christ's, Christ lifts us up to think about the life to come to help bring about this. He reforms all of our natural desires. He strips away our sinful nature. He separates us from the world so that to the extent that our inner life is renewed within us, enabling us to go forward in spiritual life, to that extent we come closer to the perfection of God's kingdom. That is to be in the company of the glory of God. Therefore, and he's talking about Acts, God will reign in and among us now so that at length he might bring us to share in his kingdom. The book of Acts, the book of Acts provides an extraordinary benefit to the California Christian in 2022. For here, here we trace the hand of God ordering his creation and his creatures and all the events that happen around us even to today for the salvation, not only of you and I, but as he sends us into this city for the salvation of many, many more men and women who will need to turn back to this book years later when we're done with it and be convinced once again and have assurance that the things that we've been taught are true. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this book. We weren't there. We haven't seen you. We've been taught. And we believe. Strengthen our souls. Lord, I pray for the one in the room who doesn't know you and doesn't believe, is wavering, is confused. It's a circle of, and, a, and a confusion of ideas and propositions. Lord, I pray today, even in the awareness that there is an account, an orderly account of all that had happened, you might do what only you can do, grant faith. For the rest of us, Lord, when we turn that final page and close the book of Acts, for this season, Lord, I pray we would all come out the other side. <laughs> we would all come out the other side assured that what we have been taught is true. For your glory, now for the good of our souls, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.